Welcome to another episode of the Chillinoy podcast. Today, I'll be playing a pre-recorded conversation that I had with Margot Vaselli, who you might recognize as the executive director of Illinois Normal. But first, I wanted to let you know that we are now selling Chillinoy branded clothing. We are starting small by offering t-shirts. You can pre-order your t-shirts now at chillinoy.net slash support. I'll throw the link in the podcast description so that you can click on it and bounce over to our website. From there, you can check out our awesome design and place your pre-order. Now the shirt costs just around $25, not including shipping. $5 of that transaction will be going to us and the rest of the money will be going to a local business right here in Chillinoy. Help to support the Chillinoy podcast so that we can continue to deliver you content and of course, keep the lights on. Place your order at chillinoy.net slash support. Once again, that's chillinoy.net slash support. If you're really high and you're having trouble spelling that, the link is going to be in the podcast description. Enjoy the episode. The National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws is a nonprofit organization based in Washington, D.C., Now, you may or may not know that there are local chapters of Normal. Today, I'm very happy to be joined with the executive director of Illinois Normal. Her name is Margo Vaselli, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Margo. Thanks, Cole, so much for having me. Yeah, I'm Margo, also known as Margoana on all my social media channels, and uh, yeah, I'm defining, defining myself as the weedologist. I have a deep passion for all things weed related. I went to school for political science. So I'm a big history buff, big social political buff. So this kind of went hand in hand. Every time I had an opportunity to speak to a candidate on any campaign, I'd be in their ear about cannabis. So this was kind of intentional to be my fourth way and my pathway out in life. (laughs) So here I am as the executive director at Illinois Normal, but also building up my own personal brand, Margawana. Absolutely. So folks, uh, I'm going to throw Margo's Instagram handle in the podcast description. Uh, Go ahead and give her a follow, give her your support. I'll also be uh, throwing the Illinois um, Illinois Normal's Uh, social media handles in the podcast description so that you can connect with the local chapter of Illinois Normal and, uh, you know, join uh, the fight, the good fight, as we say. Uh, We'll talk about that here in a moment. But Margo, uh, I wanted to talk about, um, you know, your background. You said you studied political science and everything else. When did cannabis come into the picture? Have you always used cannabis? Has it always been a part of your life? Yeah. Uh, I actually started out with cannabis at a pretty young age. Um, At 13 years old, I had been introduced to it. And it was just like the right timing at that time. I was going through some difficult hardships and uh, just overcoming out of being homeless with my mother and being brought into some Section 8 life. And uh, having cannabis there alongside at that time allowed me to have a spiritual connection to nature, to this universe that allowed me to keep going through these hard times. 
So what I was saying with my political background, I was always very passionate about justice and some social reforms. It kind of goes along with that hardship that I was going through. Mm -hmm. When I was nine years old, uh, my father tried killing my mother while I was sleeping. And I woke up to a bloody mess, had to call 911 on him. He actually told me to call 911 on him, which is strange. But at the time, I didn't think that this was you know, tough or strange for anyone. I thought every kid went through this situation. It was a tough situation at that moment, but moving forward, I didn't really realize that. And things started hitting me as I started becoming a teenager that, you know, my life is kind of different than everyone else's. And cannabis was uh, my savior. It just allowed me to have like a mother, mother's, uh, embrace on me that you know everything's going to be okay you just have to keep keep going well um that's a i was you know i don't want to say that's an awesome backstory but that's uh it's an it's an interesting backstory because it um i mean it just touches on one of the ways that cannabis can be used uh for instances like post-traumatic stress disorder and i not saying that that's necessarily what you have, but just considering the circumstances. It is. And, yeah. Yeah. You, so yeah. that is uh, one of the things, you know, and like I was saying, as a kid, I was not realizing that this is a different lifestyle that I was living. But mm. as I got a part into this social belief system, I started realizing that my life was a lot more difficult than others. So not only did I have PTSD, but I started developing anxiety. And I started realizing that not only was this traumatic in my life, but a lot of the instances as I was growing up afterwards, I went through a lot of traumatic issues that I had to, you know, deal with. And uh, it's, it can knock you down where you don't want to get back up. And I had a really hard outer shell because of my Eastern family upbringing. And no matter what, how hard you are, it can still break you down. And cannabis has allowed me to still pick myself up from everything and keep going forward. That's awesome. So what, what made you get into, um, political science and, and, you know, kind of the activist slash reform, uh, arena that you're in right now? Yeah. So because of what my father had done, I was very upset with him, of course. And it was just really strange because he was put into prison, but released after two years on good behavior. He was talking to a therapist inside of that prison and they, he, the therapist asked him, so do you feel like you could go back into society? And his answer was yes, of course. And they released him. And it was just mind boggling that that would happen, that there was, you know, not a better standard of getting these people out, which, you know, this is not very common, but um, it was just an instance that will always be ingrained in my brain. So at that time I wanted to, you know, have that justice served that if there's people out there that need this type of psychological help, that they get that help instead of just sitting in the system still. But we need to have better pathways because just releasing these people back out into society, into the world is not going to give us the solutions that we need. Right. Well, and especially with uh, the state of our, um, you know, prisons and penitentiaries like it's not like they're reforming you 
within that environment, oftentimes you're, uh, frankly, getting a little bit worse um, because you're yeah. relying on the institution, but then also what comes with the institution, the culture, being surrounded by some of those other people that that could, frankly, use some help, the help that you're talking about, you know? And so, but that's of course a larger conversation than, uh, yeah. than what we're planning to have today. Um, so, um, I see how, uh, you've kind of segued into, uh, your role as, uh, you know, an activist, um, were there any other, uh, like causes that you fought for, uh, in particular before, um, you started kind of joining in the efforts with normal? Well, I can't really say. I think that was my driver into the political atmosphere. Mm -hmm. But I look back and it's like the universe was really just lining me up with things just to fight for not only what I was initially coming into the political atmosphere for, but also just placing these cannabis people or interests in my pathway to be like hey you can fight for this as well and in the end it's like conjoining it's a, a a mutual beneficial thing that I'm going to be fighting for here so that's kind of how it led me into normal um I'll bring up the story behind that so I graduated college and did not know where I wanted to go from there the first week I was uh, told by my last professor that I had that there was a DuPage County campaign that's looking for some help. So I applied myself there and got in. And my candidate was really, really uh, appreciative of my interests and my perspectives with cannabis. And anytime I had a moment with him, I would always bring it up. And he would send me off to different campaigns and you know, talking to different candidates and legislators. And I always, always did this where I'd bring up cannabis. And this was about 2016. So 2017 is when these doors started opening up here in Illinois in the market. And my candidate was like, hey, you should, you know, maybe try to see if you could apply yourself or I know that you like to make gummies. Maybe you could uh, join up in partnership with one of these cultivators and make some of their edibles. So that's what I went after. I don't think he thought I was going to take it so seriously, but I did. And uh, I found myself networking at a dispensary, EarthMed, mm. with some local operators. And I happened to meet one of the top lead scientists there. And I got my way in as a, what's it called? With 1099, independent contractor. I got in as an independent contractor first and worked my way up with my work ethic to be able to be a full-time employee. And the moment that I was given that offer, I mentioned, hey, if there's ever an opportunity to work in edibles, I would love that. <laughs> so they tested me out and I was offered the position graciously. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I just realized that um, I didn't mention earlier, which not a huge deal, but folks, uh, another thing I'll be throwing in the podcast description is your platform, Marcoana. So um, tell us a little bit about that, about that endeavor. Yeah. Marcoana is 
there to embrace all the kind of curious folks out there that just don't have anyone in their circle of influence to give them any guidance on how to approach cannabis. I don't really love when I go to political parties or really any kind of events where people are just looking down on you like you don't know how to use this or you don't (laughs) know how to talk about this right I welcome everyone in I don't you know disregard anyone and this is just an open space an open platform to ask the wildest questions and I'll be there to answer them for you and soon I am putting in some one-on-one coaching calls because I'm getting more and more requests on guidance on what products to take and how to take them and it's not just a one two-step process it takes at least three to six months to get a good regiment going so that you can treat your wellness, which I associate with anxiety, trauma, and PTSD. Mm-hmm. But I also have affiliate partnerships with Canna nurses and doctors that I can direct you to if you have you know, more chronic issues that uh, need tending to. Awesome. Um, I saw that, I don't know if this is still in the works. I was just a shout out to a local uh, friend and publication, Illinois News Joint. I saw that you did like maybe a interview slash article with them. And I saw that maybe you'll be having a podcast video series in the future. Is that still in the works? Uh, Yeah, that's in the works right now. Um, There's just a lot of outreach that I've been doing to see ways that we can overlap with all the organizations in Illinois, as, as well as media publications, to kind of get this movement going forward. Because what I'm understanding is that the public is still not aware of how to find out the quality products. The COAs, are the certificates of analysis, that's mm-hmm. what, uh, what a COA is. A lot of people don't know that they can ask for them. And even if they do ask for them, a lot of dispensary agents tell you that no that's not public information well in fact it is in our uh house bill that we can be access to that but even when you do get it a lot of people don't understand how to read it and interpret it yeah so that's uh that's kind of the motive behind that and to uh to to push that across not just illinois but across the country awesome um Really quick, you mentioned other organizations. Do you have any that you'd like to share out, uh, share here in Illinois? One that just to get the ball rolling, maybe uh, that we've worked with is uh, Women Grow. Um, really awesome organization. Oh hell yeah, love Women Grow. That was my first conference that I've been to in oh, really? 2017. Yeah, yeah, I met Willie awesome. Nelson. Willie Nelson's wife was there, and just like I, I felt overwhelmed that this information was being accessible. I could not believe my eyes that this was the new world that we're opening up. So it was, it was a pretty great, uh, memorable experience. But um, as for organizations, there's a lot of great organizations here in Illinois, like Illinois Women in Cannabis is a great one. And our, part, our sister organization, Chicago Normal, there's also Social Equity of Illinois, Um, Outside in these conferences, I really appreciated um, Emerald Green, which is a scientific conference. And I I got in over my head at that conference, but it did plant a lot of seeds for me in the pathway that I'm going with 
getting that clean source cannabis with the COAs. I don't think a lot of people are going to really want to jump in on that one. Um, but there's like CanMed. That's great for, you know, understanding how to treat conditions with cannabis, as well as MJ for MDs. NCIA, National Cannabis Industry Association, that's very, very uh, resourceful for people out there. Awesome. So in um, February of 2020, you were voted in as the executive director for Illinois Normal. First of all, I want to say congratulations. Um, Thank you. That's that's really awesome. Yeah. Um, And second of all, I just wanted to ask, um, how's it been? How's it going? (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I'm so excited that I can finally speak about this because back in 2020, I was sharing some personal stories of turbulations on social media because it was just a challenge to get my then former board members to show up to my meetings, to take action on initiatives that I was setting up. You know, these people were in their positions for five, 10 plus years. So it's understandable that, you know, they got kind of comfortable with where they were at and they did fantastic work for us. They got us medical, then they got us recreational, but the community outreach was just not there that I would expect it to have seen. So I tried, you know, putting that fire under them and it didn't get us anywhere. So finally I asked them to reapply to the organization and that's when things went haywire. So in the meantime, I was able to find new board members that I got them applied to the organization. And, you know, we transferred ourselves into more active roles within the organization. However, we still had certain board members that just did not want to lose the grip of Illinois Normal, <laughs> the former board members. Sure. And uh, he took our website hostage. Wow. A serious challenge to try to get that back when you only have one person as the admin on there. Yeah. It's hard to, you know, overcome that. But luckily enough, our new board members are very, very skilled at their writing skills and their outreach and just their connections. And we were able to finally just last week get our website back. So hurrah. Um, we made a huge step forward. So now the control of Illinois Normal is under us now. Well, congratulations. I, uh, I, that's really unfortunate to hear that that's what you had to deal with because at a time like now, um, I think uh, drama like that is, is not needed. Um, it doesn't help with progress. And so it's like, you know, I don't even know what the, what the point of that would be to hold, hold the website hostage. Like that's, I think that's antithetical to what, you know, normal fights for, you know, exactly. That, that is what was concerning is because we could have been focused on what we needed to do, but instead our focuses were trying to get this board culture to, you know, move forward. And it just really was disheartening. Because I remember when I first got into this position, I reached out to Chicago Normal to see if there's any ways that we could, you know, figure out what they were already doing so we're not stepping on their toes, but align each other up so that we could be a much more powerful force when we go downstate to lobby. And I was turned down. 
They had no interest in doing that. And they told me that they had previous history with Illinois Normal that just wasn't, you know, sitting, sitting right with them. So, you know, I get it. And I was not there beforehand, but I'm the type of person that I like to find the problem. And now let's find the solution to move sure. forward. And at the time when this website got, was taken hostage, found that there was a letter sent out to National Normal by Chicago Normal stating that they didn't think that I was a good fit for a leader in Illinois Normal when I still didn't even have a chance yet to show them what I could do. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's interesting how that all played out because they had some strife in the past, Illinois Normal and Chicago Normal, but all of a sudden they were teaming up against me. So it makes you kind of think, was there a certain boys club type of atmosphere that I was breaking up or what was the actual intention there? Certainly. And without a conversation, I mean, how are we supposed to know, you know, and that, that's what's frustrating about hearing this is like, I thought we were adults. Um, I thought <laughs> that we could come together, you know, and have some dialogue and, and maybe work out some issues for the better of our society, which again, is I think the po point of Illinois normal. It's not to, you know, have that club where only certain people are let in. The point of Illinois normal is to reform cannabis laws for, uh, uh, you know, medical patients and adult use customers. Uh, it's to make cannabis legal, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's unfortunate. And I can only hope that, um, hey, you know, today we started that conversation. Uh, I hope that, uh, and, and look, I hope that if somebody's listening right now, they continue the conversation because the thing is, there's a conversation obviously to be had here, right? And we agree on our uh, outcomes, oftentimes our end goal, let's make cannabis legal. Okay. So let's come together, work together and um, achieve, <laughs> achieve a better future, hopefully. I mean, we've, yeah. we've got to come together and uh, ultimately um, we find the best results when we do come together. So uh, I hope that by starting this conversation today, um, we see something out of that because again, uh, just to kind of wrap this up, like how, how are you supposed to solve anything if you're not even having that dialogue? Right. And if you're completely written off before you've even had a chance to speak, how do they expect you? to address any of their concerns or resolve any, what, what may have been an issue before you were even there. Right. They said, we've had Ill problems with Illinois normal in the past. Well, great. I just came to Illinois normal and I'm here to make it new. I'm, I'm here to reform this. Right. So help me help you. Right. So anyways, uh, you got me a little fired up there. I just hate it when people don't, when, when, when there's not dialogue, because um, especially when people are willing, and, and you're more than willing to have this dialogue. So, um, I mean, you, you yeah. opened it up on this show. So, um, yeah, uh, best of luck with all of that going forward. If there's any way that we can help facilitate the conversation and bring people together, let us know. Um, you know, we, we want an Illinois normal that's, that's unified and, and fights for, for common goals, right? Now, speaking of common goals and fighting for what's right, what are some of the uh, priorities of Illinois Normal going forward if you're able to, to get into some of that? 
Yeah, definitely. So the new board members came in with some fiery ideas that, you know, we all were on board right when they started talking about them. One of the main ones is the uh, one of the board members came up with Tiffany Woodman. She said that we should have a legacy to legal roadmap, basically offering, you know, entrepreneurs a way to get into this market. Because if you look on the West Coast, there are mom and pop shops accessible. But here from the Midwest to the East Coast, it's all corporate cannabis. And we want to disrupt that. And uh, there's a few ways that we're going to be taking that on. Um, I think a lot of our projects are just going to be backing this legacy to legal uh, roadmap that we're developing. I personally will be taking on the legislation side and I have certain players out there that are going to be lobbying on the behalf of Illinois Normal and cannabis consumers so that we can develop this. Um, there is a scientific aspect to it when we're going to be developing this campaign with COA education again, and uh, we're hoping that National Normal will be on board with that so that we can take that nationwide and empower the people with that. Uh, but we definitely could use all the volunteers that we can get to help us get, initiate this and move this forward, whether it's with your time or if you have the financial ability to donate to these causes. We appreciate all that. One of the goals that we have right now is at the end of spring, about May 13th, we're looking at right now. Um, we're going to have a huge concert event in partnership with uh, big causes like Last Prisoner Project, where we're going to have a big band. Right now we're looking at Mata Siahu, hopefully, and anybody with cannabis relations, Snoop, uh, Cypress Hill. And we're hosting it in Harrisburg, Illinois, which is a five and a half hour drive from Chicago. It's going to be open consumption. The mayor's all about it. He has this whole field he's dedicating to us. So roughly 2,000 to 3,000 people will be invited. Uh, we'll have vendors there. And what we're doing up until that point is we're going to invite all the cultivators, all the operators within our state to an event to discuss three pillars, what they have been doing to give back to the communities, what are the leadership opportunities that they're offering within their operations? And how do they grow? And we wanna hear back from them to give them the opportunity to answer us before we move forward with certain demands. And if you see these cultivators, if you see these dispensary names at this concert event, you know that they're gonna be doing the right thing. But if you don't see them, you can start questioning. Yeah, well, that's that's awesome to hear that that that's what we're looking forward. Uh, you know that that's something that we can look forward to. I am all for uh, an event like that, and uh, you'll probably see me there. So, um, hell yeah, you're invited <laughs> for sure, definitely. <laughs> hell yeah, that sounds awesome. So, um, legacy to legal. Can you? I know that you're still obviously you're probably still drafting it all, but like, what what's the idea kind of looking like at this point? Yeah, so we've taken account of what other organizations in Illinois are doing and as well as what other organizations in different states are doing. We don't see 
as much of an opportunity here as there are in other states. So we figured that we want to bring in players that have the experience to offer to the legacy entrepreneurs, whether that's with protecting your uh, assets, with mm-hmm. uh, finding ways to break into the system if, or the industry, I mean, um, there's just going to be, you know, every kind of person that's a professional that would be needed to be able to set yourself up for success. We want to give that roadmap to the legacy entrepreneurs. Gotcha. Um, and this is just a, uh, you know, a conversation that, that we've had on the show. Is there any um, interest in like lobbying for um, a different licensing structure or uh, maybe like a, the, like the way that they're assigned and I guess the the spirit of this question is is the fact that it's so limited, and that it ultimately really is controlled by the state, uh, versus a state like Oklahoma, where you can I could go online right now with my credit card, and within a couple hours I would be licensed to operate in the state. Yeah. Well, if uh, you saw my last upload on Pro Canna News, I uh, didn't mention that. There has been some studies now that have been looking at these lotteries and they're finding that none of these lotteries are working out. There's no transparency and no accountability. So it's just a system that's not working and we definitely need to fix that. When I came into this space with this issue on hand, I did not know what the solution could be. You know, I'm just sitting there just listening to all the different sides of what's happening, but it just didn't sit right from the get-go that this is going to be something that works out in anybody's benefit. And it's showing itself that it's not. So there is definitely going to be some lobbying efforts behind that, as well as uh, opportunities for more home grows. Not to be just for medical patients, which there's a lot of reform that needs to be done with that. There needs to be uh, I've just heard stories about, you know, five patients living in one house and they all have to share just five plants because right. you can't have more than that right. in one household. So that, that needs some changes there. Um, but also to have adult use, recreational users to have access to it too. Not everyone's going to have a green thumb, you know, it's, it's a very crafty work practice. So these big companies that could be scared that, Oh, we're going to lose customers. No, you won't. There's still going to be so many right. customers out there <laughs> because I mean, it takes a lot of practice. Same with, you know, that story that I was just saying, the family with the five patients inside their home that can only grow five plants. If something happens to those five plants, all that time and money just wasted down in the drain yeah. that they could have been, you know, accessing to, but um, yeah, those are going to be some of our lobbying efforts behind Illinois right now but we always appreciate feedback from the public I've been trying to you know go to events as often as I can in these times uh, just to get some feedback from the constituents and about what they care most about that they want us to lobby but you can always reach out to us on our Facebook channel Instagram LinkedIn and now our website too where you can let us know what you care about and you want us to lobby for yeah, and maybe we can partner up and do a poll uh, of the community, uh, the Illinois community, and see what what they're uh, thinking of. You know what I mean? We've got like seventeen thousand Illinoisans, so uh, <laughs> that I know. Fabulous. Of. Yeah. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. So that that's really cool. And like you say, 
Um, the lottery uh, situation is definitely not working out. Um, a headline that I'm reading this morning, um, there's an Illinois applicant's lawsuit charging, uh, quote, political connections uh, th- that influence the license awarding process. Uh, one of our friends, uh, Tom Howard, who works on Cannabis Legalization News, actually posted uh, some math detailing the odds of um whether or not you'd win and what he found out is that like mathematically the the odds were not in anybody's favor anybody who was like you know what you might consider that legit social equity uh candidate it was more so the the well-funded well-capitalized people the people that frankly submitted multiple applications to weigh the odds in their favor right so um so it's go ahead I was going to say Tom Howard is actually one of our uh, board members at Illinois Normal. And that's one of the reasons why I chose him is because he was so passionate about this and brought up and stirred the pot with that. But um, the one and only board member, Dermont Montgomery, was the only one that stayed with me from the former board. And since day one, he brought it to me that the communities that he is a part of feel like their backs were turned on through some of the minority efforts that were be put that were brought out there. Um, you know, we hear about certain people and organizations that have won the lottery chances. Maybe, you know, we still don't know what the outcomes are yet, but they have a chance. They got a step forward. And a lot of speculation is that they had those political ties and affairs too. Yeah. It was brought to me a different perspective, though, that even though that they could have had these political ties, they're still having huge challenges in getting themselves set up for success through that. And I appreciate it. You know, there's a lot of disagreement with everything that was brought up to this point, but um, it's, it's a challenging atmosphere. It really is unfortunate what is going on here in Illinois. It just makes you think conspiracies all around but yeah that's just it though when you point out that even the people that had the odds in their favor are having trouble getting started up that's kind of been a point i've been trying to drive home you know we've got the the cost to even participate is so high without the bear the unnecessary barriers that we've added look the licenses cost too much um like i don't know uh especially considering that each um, each submission costed a charge. So again, the people that were had a lot of capital behind them could submit multiple applications to weigh those odds in their favor. I guess what I'm saying is like, even if I got a license in my hand right now, like it costs so much money to actually put that into play to get a facility that's up to code that meets all the regulations, you know, and then I've yeah. got a, all the things that you have to do, like it costs enough money to get in the industry. And so to have the license be cost inhibitive is, or prohibitive is uh, problematic in my opinion. But Yeah. It just, I, I cannot imagine if someone with a true social equity need were to win that chance, how could they be sitting on that license for over a year? and have right. to pay for those locations and the employees. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And so to quote somebody from our com- uh, community, they had a really good thought on this. They say, social equity is certainly an agreeable goal, 
but this is clearly the wrong way to go about it. I would be all for giving a quote leg up to operations that can transfer wealth to disproportionately impacted communities, but we could do that via a state sponsored. We could do that via state sponsored business loans or even a quote social equity tax where funds are used for infrastructure improvements in disproportionately impacted communities or a combination where non-social equity businesses pay into a social equity fund, right? And that fund, the, the funds that are gathered are then used to finance social equity businesses. Because if you want social equity participation, you have to give them a way that they can uh, be capitalized. You need to give them the assistance with licensing regulation and uh, again, a plan so that they can be capitalized without having to sell off huge equity stakes of their business, which is what we're seeing right now, you know? Yeah, yeah. there there actually was a fund. It's called the R3 program where these mm-hmm. companies were to, you know, put a percentage of their profits into it. But it's just asinine what happened with the outcome of even that there was organizations that had no affiliation with cannabis that won money out of this R3 program. Like the Girl Scouts of America, the Northern Illinois chapter got $300,000. What? (laughs) This should have had a more, you know, systematic guideline to get those community organizations and the entrepreneurs to have access to these funds. And I even heard some, uh, people, some folks out there that were trying to access that. And it was just a challenge to get them even through the application process to be able to seek out those funds. So that's why we're coming at it at a different approach. Yes, there was that tax funding program that they put up, but it just failed there too. So we kind of have to take the initiatives into our own hands. Yeah. Well, I like that you're walking and chewing bubble gum on this because, and what I mean by that is that you're not only trying to right the wrongs of the license lottery, but you mentioned, and this is what I want to talk about now. Um, you're trying to right the wrongs of, I'm, I'm just going to call it what it is, a botched, botched legalization. Now, I, I've, I want to clarify that other states have, ha- have taken similar approaches to what we've taken. And, and, that, and what I mean by that is they've only legalized limited amounts of cannabis. So in the state of Illinois... 30 grams, you know, for just a resident, 15 for a non-resident, basically half the possession limit for non-residents, right? Um, But then like you pointed out for cultivation, you know, it's limited to medical cannabis patients, limited in number. Um, I guess what I'm saying is I'm happy to hear that you are going to be fighting to reform uh, at least the cultivation side of things. because that is a huge uh, problem within the cannabis industry. Like, why why are we allowed to possess cannabis, but we can't cultivate it? You know what I mean? It's it's just asinine. Um, the reason I bring up possession limits, though, is because I feel like when we, when we have the conversation about social equity, you know, obviously giving people to uh, the opportunity to participate in the business is a great chance to right the wrongs of of the war on drugs, right? But I think an even larger chance to right the to to right the wrongs on the war on drugs is to end the war on drugs, and and by that I mean taking away possession limits. Um, 
I guess we'll start with possession limits because it sounds like you already have plans for cultivation that we can talk about later. Do you have, it didn't sound like maybe it was on your radar. Do you have anything with regard to the idea of doing something about possession limits? And, and I guess just to lead you into why I'm asking this, we just had a defense attorney on our podcast, which we might connect you with. Uh, and he, his job defending cannabis possession cases and, and cannabis cases has not slowed down since legalization, which begs the question, is it legal? Yeah, I saw your uh, post on that and I would be so interested in connecting with them because that is news to me that uh, these possession charges are still happening so frequently. You would think that, you know, that, that actually brings up a great topic that last year I was informed that a lot of people in our own state aren't aware that if a police officer approaches you and tells you that he smells cannabis, there's still some areas within our state that they will arrest you for that. Absolutely. It is your right to say, I need a warrant for you to search my car, even on the basis of smell. That's not enough for a probable cause. So uh, that is kind of aligned with what you're bringing up right now, but it is news to me that these uh, possession charges are happening so frequently still. And that is definitely something that I know that our board would be interested in tackling as well. Yeah. And it's definitely what you just brought up is definitely part of that conversation. Um, the, the odor, cause there's this, I, there's this language in the law that says that cannabis must be in a sealed childproof odor proof container. Now I saw that, I think it was Illinois normal that fought for this. They recently added language for resealable, which is great because then cannabis is no longer a one-way product. Um, but the, the language of odor proof, there simply is no such thing as an odor proof container. I've had conversation with law enforcement that made their name using canines to, to, to bust people with drugs. And I always ask them, are you aware of any odor proof container? You know, like, and if you are, can you point me in the right direction? Because cannabis simply is not even sold in odor proof containers. So the moment that you purchase it, the moment that you walk out of the dispensary and get in your car, you're out of compliance with the law. Yeah. Yeah. The terpenes uh, permeate the plastics without a doubt. And I mean, unless you were to go with glass, but that's going to be so much more money. And uh, it's, it's a challenge. It's a unique challenge that we are trying to figure out how to overcome. The, what the attorney pointed out is like, what does odor proof mean? Does odor proof mean odor proof against the officer? Does odor proof mean odor proof against a canine? Because canines have much stronger sense of smell than we do. And then also odor, it's pretty subjective. I could pull you over Marco and say, Hey, I, I smell some, I smell weed. And hey, I might have, I might actually be right. You might actually have weed in the car and I might luck out and get you on that, but you might not. And that, that's the point is that yeah. like leaving it up to the office. It's just so subjective. Like, here's the thing. That's a great I, I, point. Like if it's burning cannabis, if there's a bong in your cup holder, like obviously we don't want you driving impaired, but if you, if you're just transporting cannabis and you're not like, there should not be any conversation, you know? Yeah. That's absolutely true. You just don't know what kind of uh, uh, attitude that police officer will have once he approaches. And I've heard multiple police officers just say, yeah, 
I just bring up that it smells like cannabis, even if I don't smell it, just so I could see if I could find something to charge them on. Right. Right. <sighs> it's the worst. So yeah, folks, like you said earlier, Margo, know your rights. Uh, definitely. Uh, if you plan to be transporting cannabis in the state until these things happen, I'd have a, a business card for a defense attorney just in case, you know, and I do, you know, cause I don't want any trouble. And the fact mm-hmm. that it's really up to, in, it's up to their discretion. That's pretty scary. You don't want to chance that. So anyways, uh, I, I'm glad that, that I could uh, kind of get, bring that issue to your attention. Yeah. I'd be happy to connect you with uh, the defense attorney. He wrote a, a great, article in fact i just want to plug it again for for folks it's the uh, i'm not going to be able to think of it but i'll I'll send it to you margo it's something like the the un the unfinished work of cannabis reform i believe is the article title folks if you want to look it up it's on the illinois state bar association's website the author of the article is defense attorney evan bruno Um, and he talked he talks about basically he uses this analogy that when cannabis was legalized in Illinois, what they did was they just made a tightrope and you're free to enjoy cannabis on the tightrope. But if you slip just a little bit on either way, you fall right back into the old penalties of the law because they didn't remove any criminal penalties except for the limited possession of cannabis, right? That's mm-hmm. basically the, the big one that, that everybody runs around and says we legalized cannabis because you can you can purchase it at a store now. So it feels legal. But when you can still get in trouble for it, begs the question, is it? So anyways, that was my little possession limit tirade. Um, cultivation, uh, home cultivation. We're talking about cultivating cannabis for personal use. That's the key there. Um, we're not advocating for people to be able to grow cannabis and sell it to their local dispensary it's for the personal use of cannabis what what are your what are your proposals look like with regard to that like i guess my question is is really like you talked about the limitations with medical cannabis like are you proposing a plant increase what's it looking like yeah we will be proposing a plant increase it should be the, each patient gets to grow five plants, regardless if they live in the same household with another patient. Uh, The person that's going to be taking on those efforts is actually from another podcast called Growcast. I don't know if you're familiar with Jordan. Oh yeah, Jordan Jordan. Rivers. Yeah. 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 Sweet. So he's going to be taking on those initiatives, but I, I would love to actually see if there are opportunities for home growers to be able to sell to their local dispensaries, because I think that this is such a, a craft. There are certain growers out there that just know how to turn in those dials and make really great products of cannabis flower. And I think we're lacking that here in Illinois right now, yeah. especially, but this could keep the economy within the state, you know, keep the funding rotating throughout our state. And it, not everyone's going to be a great grower. There's going to be, you know, a lot of low grade and, you know, maybe there's people out there that are fine with that, but then there's those people that are top-notch craft growers. And yes, we have the opportunities for craft growers here in the state of Illinois, 
but it's still a lack of accessibility. There's not going to be enough supply for the demand. We see it still consistently right now. Even when these craft growers are introduced, there's not going to be enough supply for the demand that we already have. Right. So there's just more opportunities that could be made. Hey, well, I love that idea because I've always said, you know, think about, okay, so first of all, there's no reason that if you cultivate cannabis at home and you pass a lab test that you shouldn't be able to sell it in, in a, a licensed dispenser. I mean, if it passes consumer safety standards and by all means it's safe to consume, why not? Right. Um, also though, you bring up a, like, I don't know, I've just thought of this concept. We have farmers markets in this country every weekend. And what do you got to do? Yeah. All you got to do is pay like a $5 pass. If that you can set up your stand and you can start selling things without any regulation really at all. Like, I mean, you just got to buy your pass to be there. And it's, it's funny because um, we've had conversations with some cannabis companies um, in the past and they've argued for limitations on cannabis cultivation saying that, you know, if, if there aren't limitations that that could lead to an unregulated supply chain and that people just simply don't know uh, or have enough expertise or knowledge at their fingertips to be able to uh, produce a safe product. And uh, obviously that's all, that's all asinine, you know, considering that a lot of our culture is built around, you know, Oh, you got a tomato, I'll eat it. Right. No testing needed. Um, But also again, that's not really what we're fighting for. We're not fighting for, uh, first of all, we're fighting for personal cultivation, but if we did something like your, like your idea, your proposed idea, it would still be subject to consumer safety standards. So there wouldn't be this unregulated supply chain that they throw out as if it's like this big ACE card against my argument, you know? Yeah. I actually find that that's, uh, ironic because right now I still see that these operators that are uh, offering these mass cannabis products are not doing the testing that needs to be done in order to keep up with that. So it's just ironic that they're placing this on the consumers when they in fact are speeding up the process of growing their plants and using certain, you know, chemicals on the plants. Yeah. (laughs) Techniques. There you go. And not giving the plant enough time to be flushed out, to be safe for consumers. That's why this testing is so important and vital for the people to demand. Once the people are empowered that they can know how to access these COAs, check if the batch numbers match up with the product that they have in hand check if the dates are matching up that the products are not expired or that this is a botched COA, let's so to say. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to be informed of this so that we can put that accountability and that transparency on our cannabis providers. And then yes, okay, these personal grows that could be offered to the dispensaries would be subjected to the same guidelines. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I like what we're talking about. I mean, this is all, this all sounds like we're, we may see some good progress in the future. Um, a question that I have for you, uh, to start to wrap up this conversation is, 
And admittedly, this is not, um, I don't want to say it's a hard question, but you know, uh, I guess my question, it's kind of a pioneering question, right? I admit that what I'm about to ask has not been done yet. Um, why are we keeping limitations? Like, like for example, um, and maybe I just misunderstood you, but like with cultivation, you said, um, you know, yeah, you'd be thinking about increasing the limits, but why are there, why do you think that we have to have limits at all? Um, because, and like the only reason I'm asking that, because if, if you're growing for personal consumption, what does it matter how many plants you have or how much cannabis you have? I think if something's legal, you should be able to grow, want, uh, you know, grow, use, possess, process as much as you want or need. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak to those numbers. This is just something that I'm following in line with, you know, what is proposed already. But I have had these conversations already with growers that don't see the reason for it either. The only thing that I'm looking at right now with my concerns are that I know Oregon had opened the doors and it was like floodgates that just were released. And then there was too much supply, which then brought the demand down and prices down, which there are even conversations out there that people don't see a reason why we even purchase cannabis. But, you know, that's a different uh, conversation sure. to be had. But uh, I don't have a reason right now. I just am following what is being said. And I'd still want there to be a demand. I still want there to be entrepreneurship offered out through this entrepreneurship opportunities, but I really, I don't have an answer for you. So yes, there are limits right now. Maybe they need to be tested to see what number would be more appropriate. Maybe it's not five, maybe it would be 10, maybe it'd be 20. I don't yeah, know. And I mean, Michigan not having has, a limit. I, was, I didn't mean to cut you off, but Michigan has okay. like an interesting structure where they have like a certain number of flowering plants, a certain number of vegetative plants that are allowed. So yeah. you can almost have that rolling harvest. That I agree with a hundred percent, but to answer the fact about the numbers yeah. subjugated to us, I don't have an answer for that. And I'd be interested in learning more about what the scopes would be in other opportunities and, you know, perspectives yeah. with that. Yeah, it's a conversation that I want to continue. Maybe you and I can uh, connect with people um, and, and continue yeah. this conversation because I've heard um, the same thing you're talking about with Oregon. Um, but the, the like flip side of that, the Oregon uh, Liquor Cannabis Commission Control Office, a long name that I don't, I can't, I'm having trouble recalling. Um, the head of that, he was asked, you know, how do you think it went? Because a lot of people say that it didn't go necessarily well. Prices hit the bottom of the barrel. What is your, you know, what is your takeaway from it? And he's like, well, look, my job at the end of the day is to do what the law is, right? But if you're asking for my opinion, my opinion is that, yeah, prices hit the bottom of the barrel, but people knew what they were getting into. And, uh, you know, the cards fell as they did, right? It kind of like, let it play out. Now, one thing I will say about Oregon's uh, law, I do think there needs to be 
an element of limitation to it. So like for a license holder, maybe you can only have three licenses, whether that be a dispensary license, cultivation license, or transport. So an element of yeah. limitation, right? To encourage competition, to encourage that entrepreneurial spirit. I can't say that. Um, but, but these other limits that we are, that we are forced to deal with like possession limits, cultivation limits. This is what I say. Limits equal criminalization. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so that's where, uh, you know, I kind of want to see us do away with the idea of cultivation limits or possession limits, because just to close this, close my thought. Um, if I asked you right now, and I don't know if you drink at all, but if I asked you right now, how much alcohol do you have in your fridge? And let's say you said, you know, Cole, I have 25 cans of beer because I've got a case of beer that I bought for this weekend. And I've got one beer left over from last week. And I said, you got 25 beers. That's too much. You're going to jail, <laughs> Missy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like totally a, see your point. Yeah. yeah. It's a crazy and thing I to think about. that. I appreciate your perspective on the fact that, yes, there should be limitations on the licenses offered to one individual or, you know, business corporation. And it is just flipped right now. Oh, my gosh. You just opened up my mind to a completely different world. So I appreciate that. And I definitely (laughs) want to follow up with you on this and see where we can go with that. Hell, yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. And we could rope others into the conversation. I know Tom Howard has some really great ideas on license structuring. So that's all awesome conversations we can have going forward, my friend. So, Hey, I want to thank you for coming on to our podcast today because I had a lot of fun speaking with you and I've frankly, I've got something to look forward to because I feel like we've got an ally in Illinois normal. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you having me here. This is the first conversation that I'm having publicly about the issues that I've been dealing with for over the past year and a half. So it feels good to get it off my chest and to kind of get the fire in other people, listeners that are going to be listening to your podcast so that hopefully they will want to help out with these efforts as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's the hope in bringing you on today, you know, to give, give you that opportunity to start, you know, a conversation that you've been wanting to start, but also to talk about what your efforts are moving forward. And uh, hopefully by having, by having discussed all of these things that we see progress in, in multiple forms. And by that, I mean, I hope that, like I said earlier, that we see people come together and I hope that, um, you know, by starting this partnership and maybe doing surveys and whatever that we can bring a huge group of Chilinoians together to fight towards a common cause. Hell yeah. Love it. Hell yeah. Well, Margo, uh, we'll be in touch. Uh, Folks, I hope you found today's episode informative. If you have any questions, just go to chillinois.net slash contact or reach out to us on one of our social media handles. Um, I'm pretty positive this is not the last time that Margo is going to be on our podcast. So um, maybe we'll do the next one in person if if we can work that out. So I appreciate that. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. All right. Well, folks, uh, we will see you next time on the Chillinois podcast.